giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben, and I'm here with my buddy Derek. Hey, Derek. Hey, Ben. Well, hey, it's good to see you. Good to see you, too, Ben. You're looking well. Thank you. You, too. You look like you are in an office today. Yes. I'm in the lovely downtown Lead Pages office. That's cool. So. I see exposed brick. There must be like venture capital and startups happening. <laughs> oh, there's exposed brick. There's exposed ceilings. There's wires. Yeah. So retro, vintage, original construction-y. We are in a li- literally an old warehouse. So <laughs> oh, man. We, get, we get all the good and bad that comes with that. It is a little drafty in here from time to time, mm-hmm. but uh, feels industrial. Yeah. It's been a little while since we talked. We didn't record last week. Yeah. What's up with you? Well, I just got back from a, a nice long trip to California, escaping the cold and uh, getting a little bit of time off just to refresh and recharge. Mm-hmm. I just got back from my first solo retreat that I've ever taken. Oh, excellent. I can't wait to hear about this. Yeah. So I think it's not something that a lot of people, I guess, are, are too familiar with. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's distinct from a vacation in that the whole idea is to kind of take a step back, get yourself out of the day-to-day grind and kind of think high level about you know, things that are working and things that aren't working, uh, mm-hmm. kind of in your, well, it can be your work or personal life or both. So this is, this is a concept that, uh, my good friend Rob and his wife, Sherry have actually authored a book on called Zen founder guide to founder retreats, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and talk so about on their, they have a podcast called Zen founder. They talk about this, yeah. at least one ep- full episode, I believe. Yes. I believe there is one on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I kind of use that as my blueprint for kind of mapping out how my retreat was going to work. Yeah. So, you know, the first step of it was to obviously get out of the city, get out of the local area where I'm in. So I was able to escape to California. I went over to the central coast, San Luis Obispo, got an Airbnb, and uh, it's about a three-hour drive from my hometown where we were staying. So had a nice long car ride to kind of decompress and um, start to pull myself out of out of day-to-day work mode, uh, which was nice. And um, yeah, basically started pondering on... Um, kind of what's been working, what hasn't been working. And it was good. I got a number of, of takeaways. So yeah, I could kind of talk about talk about some of the takeaways. I yeah, had. Bef- before you do, I'm curious about the structure. Like, did, are there specific exercises or questions that you laid out for yourself or like things you did physically or mentally? Yeah, so it's pretty personal, I guess, how, how you decide to structure it. But there are a number of questions that, that are outlined in the book to kind of get you started, like, yep. you know, asking yourself what gave you life in the last year and what took life away. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of, you know, kind of philosophical. Mm-hmm. And there's like a whole kind of worksheet you can fill out with a grid of questions. You can also use it as a time for setting goals. So you can ask yourself, like, what do I want to achieve in the next year or, or even smaller time frames? Mm-hmm. And so that's really, really what it's centered around is thinking about, you know, what worked, what didn't work and what goals do you want to achieve? Hmm. So I just kind of went there with a fresh, I have a brand new notebook that I'm starting for 2017 to yeah, nice. down. That was my, a good feeling. What kind of notebook? Um, it's so it's a, from a company called Appointed, actually. OK. And I think they started out as a Kickstarter um, and it's just really nice, high quality grid paper, spiral bound. You're, you're a grid man. Yeah, uh, I switched to grid actually this year. Okay. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to do, be doing. Uh, a bit of wireframing this year, so I want to be uh, able to sure. use it for sketching easily. So. I'm, I'm looking at these notebooks; they look they look fancy. Yeah, they're they're really nice. Cool. It was a, it was a Christmas gift from my wife, and it's a personalized notebook. So. There's a wonderful feeling of possibility in a new yeah. no, no, notebook. Totally, yeah. totally. 
And I, I think, you know, right around the turn of a new year is a good time to take a retreat. I'm not super big on like New Year's resolutions. And I know a lot of people kind of have a love hate relationship with them. They're mm-hmm. hard to hard to keep. But, you know, I think turn of a new year is a good time to to think through goals and figure out how to how to do things better than you did last year, I guess. Sure. So Yeah. I actually ended up doing a, a similar thing. I didn't take a retreat, but I did a review of my whole calendar. Of my, mm-hmm. I basically went through my calendar, work and personal, for all of 2016 and just wrote down things that stood out to me. It's like, oh, yeah, that was amazing. Or like, oh, that was terrible. And yeah. just built myself a little list. This is actually based on a recommendation from uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast. Okay. And made a list of things that were great and not so great. And then intentionally tried to schedule pre-schedule, like schedule now a bunch of the things that were great last year again. Yeah. Basically prioritizing those things that were particularly useful or fun uh, into the next year. Yeah, that's a good and idea. That, that, was, that was a really useful exercise. I really, I think that some good stuff came out of that. Totally. Yeah. So what I realized, like I, I had actually always been a little bit skeptical of, of retreats, thinking that like, you know, isn't this just part of my day to day work is figuring out hmm. how to identify ways to improve or, you know, shouldn't I be in tune with myself to figure out <laughs> what's not working well? And I feel like I am for the most part, I was pretty clear on the things that I wanted to change or, you know, the things that really gave me life. But what I found was that being on a retreat and having the time and the mental energy to think through these problems actually gave me the ability to actually think high level about how to maybe solve some of the problems. Like you're not always best equipped to figure out how to solve underlying issues that are impacting your productivity or just your work life in general when you're in the middle of the day-to-day grind. So maybe you end up thinking of some little one-off solution that you just come up on on the fly because you don't have time to spend, you know, two hours pondering, you know, how can I make myself not be a bottleneck for my team? So you start thinking of little solutions, but maybe that's not the best solution. Yeah. I love that. I imagine a lot of people have had the experience of creative solutions coming to them when they're away from the work or the office. Yeah. Like yeah. a, a lot of my good ideas come at night when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, intentionally not doing things that are distracting me. Yeah. I, I mean, you get little, little micro retreats when you're in the shower sometimes. Exactly. I find like I'm yep. able to like, all right, I'm totally in a different zone and I'm able to think, but then, you know, 10 minutes later you're back into it. So mm-hmm. I felt like that was a really powerful aspect that I had not fully appreciated until actually trying my own retreat. Mm-hmm. Did you come up with any conclusions that you want to talk about? Sure. Yeah. I, I have a few that I jotted down. Okay. You know, one of them, this kind of been a recurring thing I've been talking about is like feeling like I'm the bottleneck to my to my team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of just a nature of as we add more people to the development team, the more I need to be involved in any given task, the less scalable we become because, mm-hmm. you know, everything kind of is filtering through me and that just that just doesn't work long term. Mm-hmm. So I gave a lot of thought to this. And one of the, the conclusions I came to is that it's kind of time to start subdividing our broader development team into smaller teams mm-hmm. to kind of focus in on their areas of expertise. So we do have a handful of developers who are kind of more deeply technical, more familiar with um, kind of ops and scaling. And they have some particular experience around, you know, setting up performance monitoring and infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So these guys, we've kind of begun to section off into the back end operations team. And then the rest of us are kind of in the core product front end user experience team. And what what that'll allow us to do ultimately is kind of spread out the code review stuff that tasks that need to happen. So each team lead will kind of be responsible for making sure that the 
code that's going in to their subsystem is high quality. Mm -hmm. So rather than everything filtering through me, we'll kind of spread that out amongst team leads. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of started jotting down like, well, what are the good dividing lines for teams? And, you know, as we continue to grow, what potential teams could we add so that we can start doing more things in parallel? And so I just jotted down several pages worth of notes just kind of around that topic. Hmm. And I think it was a really good thought exercise and also good to plan out like, you know, given these goals and, and how we want to divide ourselves into teams, what hires do we need to be making in the next six months or year? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that, that sounds like a great exercise. Yeah. I just had this thought. Uh, I have no idea if there's any uh, validity to it, but I'm thinking of the way you're talking about dividing responsibilities is like back end, front end. Mm-hmm. And I'm immediately sort of imagining like, okay, there there are going to be times where there'll be coordination required between those teams. Sure. And I was wondering if there's any validity to slicing more horizontally or something like a team that spans that boundary in a different way. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? I think we're going to get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, I think because we have we have basically six developers on the team right now. Yep. We don't have enough bodies to say like. This team is focused on workflows, for example, and this team is focused right. on yeah. billing. And this, te- so like, I think we could end up slicing it that direction, mm-hmm. where we have like someone who's a little more familiar with hardcore backend, someone who's more like front end design, and in between, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think in the immediate term, it's going to help to just kind of section off on like main front end core product and back end. Gotcha. So I kind of have like I have some loose phases written out in my notebook where I'm like, you know, six months down the line after we have this person hired, this person hired to fill this role, mm-hmm. then maybe we can start to mutate our teams into a different direction. Mm. So you have six developers today? Yes. And yeah. do you have an idea of how many you'll hire this year? I don't know exactly. I have jotted down at least six that we could, six positions we could fill. Yep. Um, but I think estimating headcounts is probably similar to like estimating uh, size and scope like it's you're often inaccurate sure yeah <laughs> so we'll see i think we'll take it we'll take it month by month yeah the hiring is messy because it can take a while some some positions are going to be easier to fill than others so sure yeah, yeah yeah interesting i wonder at what like i guess this is sort of an impossible question to answer but i wonder at what point you start to get dramatically diminishing returns from adding people mm. like something tells me that like 12 developers doesn't move twice as fast as six developers no I think you're right. And I think it'll be interesting to to see how, um, you know, one of my goals, and this is kind of in an overarching goal to just move faster mm-hmm. and see how we can improve our velocity mm-hmm. is to figure out how we can do parallelism better with our mm. with our people. Mm-hmm. So in an ideal world, we'd have multiple teams that are working on independent projects and features mm-hmm. and are able to ship them concurrently without too much crossover needed. Right. And we can already do that in some respect, but Uh, You know, it was really helpful hiring our first full-time designer on the team Mm. because before that point, I was really the only one who could kind of handle that skill set. So anything that that touched the front end kind of had to pass through me. Right. So now that we have a full-time designer, he could theoretically pair up with another developer, work on an independent feature, and I can be paired up with someone else and working on something else. And and the more of those units we can get going at the same time, I think the better our velocity will be. Gotcha. So yeah. So it'll be a, it'll, it's a work in progress. That's cool. Did you feel like you got additional clarity by doing an explicit retreat like this? Yeah, I did. I think I, I think I got clarity about some of the ways to solve some of the bigger questions. Nice. I was able to reflect on, you know, what was just kind of underlying stressors for me over the last year. And, and one of them I pulled out was getting lots of email alerts from 
error monitoring and new relic and some of these other things was yeah. just stressing me out. You know, I was feeling the need to look at them every time because the volume of the notifications we were receiving is probably too high. Mm-hmm. So I made a specific goal here that, you know, we're going to try to tackle. I, I kind of bucketed those all together as noise. Anything mm-hmm. that's like not an actual critical bug that we need to respond to, but it's just underlying monitoring noise. Mm-hmm. We need to try to silence those. Yeah. So anytime a honey badger alert comes in and it's some error that's not something actionable, then we need to figure out how to silence it. So I end up filing an issue. Every time it comes in, tag it with noise, get it assigned to someone and put it near the top of their of their work queue. Nice. Because I want to treat it. I'm basically treating that as if it's a bug because it's a bug in our process. Yeah, it's, totally. <laughs> it's crying wolf, essentially. Exactly. And it's potentially masking a really bad problem if it's like, if a bad notification is buried amongst non-critical notifications. Totally, yeah. I like that a lot. That's the, that yeah. kind of like habitual cleaning and discipline is an underrated art and uh, yeah. habit for continuing to move fast. Yeah. It's a little bit like coming back and like sharpening the saw kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And like we're like getting to learn your tools a, bit, a little bit better. I think it's, I'm a big fan. Yeah, and it's like it's cruft that will build up over time. You'll you'll gradually start to see different types of exceptions and disk I.O. alerts from this one server now come through often. And it's like it's easy to just kind of let those creep in. Right. And it's it's broken windows, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like you're okay with a little bit of that. And then maybe it's like, oh, well, this test sometimes fails, but I'm, I'm just used to seeing that one sometimes fail. And like you start to just accept more and more of that crap that sucks. Yep. Yep. Uh, I like it. I, I think I think it's hard to invest too much time in that. I don't think right. I've ever met someone that was like, I want to be too disciplined about making sure to do all the little <laughs> things right and, you know, going back and, and fixing the small things. Yeah, I think you could only you could only miss the mark there if you're too focused on like, we just got to ship features and don't worry about that. We need to keep building features. But, yeah. you know, if you take your eye off the mark of like reducing your noise, then you could just find yourself totally stressed out all the time and mm-hmm. maybe not even realize it, you know? Exactly. Totally. So, yeah, and this wasn't my retreat wasn't all focused on like the bad things I need to change. There were also I was trying to focus also on identifying what are the things that I really enjoyed from the last year and how can I do more of that? Yep. So, you know, one of those immediately jumped out to me was kind of the problem solving exercise that we went through with the uh, segmentation performance stuff I've been talking about. Mm hmm. And that was kind of a spark of magic. We were thinking about deep problems and and we came up with a really elegant solution and then we executed on it. And it's just been a really fun experience Mm -hmm. and kind of reminds me of more in the early days of Drip, you know, where we had a lot of those moments. Mm -hmm. So my thinking is, you know, how can we get back to that? And the best I can think of right now is that we just try to build that problem solving process into our ordinary day-to-day process so if there's some kind of problem we're, we're trying to solve and it's a little bit difficult definitely get in the room with a few people mm-hmm. and start throwing crazy ideas at the wall and then let that guide your thinking because mm-hmm. it was ultimately like some really off the wall ideas that ultimately boiled down to the right solution yeah so. i think that's actually the best reason to call a meeting mm-hmm. is going working through a problem in a sort of freeform way yep that's my favorite reason to get together with people yeah, that's that's usually how it works. Like we're two of us are talking about something and we're like, you know, we need to get in front of a whiteboard and maybe we'll pull one other person. So it's like, hey, you got a second? We're going to talk this through and mm-hmm. take 20 minutes and we never regret doing that. Yeah, so. totally. Once I start drawing stuff on the whiteboard, everything is better. My, my, yeah. whole, my whole day is better. <laughs> <laughs> something about it. It just really helps. Yeah, totally. Cool. So you'd recommend this retreat for other people? I would, yeah. And uh, I'll make one other note about it, which... Yeah. I didn't know that it was going to be this way, but I actually found 
that I don't know how long I could do a solo retreat because it got really lonely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> My wife and I actually like to be together a lot and I'm hardly ever away from her for that long. So, you mm. know, I started to miss her and started to just miss seeing people. Yeah. It's a different experience being alone for, for that long when you're not used how to it. How long was it? So I left on a Thursday early and came back on a Saturday. Um, okay. So three gotcha. days. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I could see that for myself in particular. That would be, yeah. it sounds like, I wonder if there's some sort of like blended thing where you are spend most of the day alone, but then at night you meet back up or something. I think that's, yeah. And I think when I do my next retreat, yep. I'll, that's probably how I'll structure it. Yeah. And it'll probably be kind of like a, a vacation for her anyway. So she'll come along with me and, you know, during the day hours, I'll, we'll go off and do independent things and. That sounds good. I also, I imagine you can't productively be creative and brainstorm and think about things all day long and all night long. Like there's got to be just downtime where you're not doing. Oh that. yeah. So. No, it burns, it burns that glucose in your brain. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely work, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it looks like relaxing cause I was most of the time I was hanging out at a coffee shop, sipping a cappuccino and had my notebook and I was looking off into space, but mm-hmm. that's actually hard work was getting done then. For sure. Yeah. I <laughs> so, could see that. Yeah. Cool. So some good stuff is up with me. I'm having a good uh, week, month, whatever. Um, so I I did an exercise that I really have gotten some value from. So there is a site and a philosophy and whatnot called Growth. So growthhackers.com is, uh, I believe, created by Sean Ellis, who led growth at Dropbox and some other places. And they have a CRUD app, basically, for managing growth ideas. It's called like Growth Hackers Projects. Okay. And it has like a couple things that I think make it really interesting and compelling. It's like basically Trello in a way, except that it has a couple things that are make it specific for growth ideas that I think are, are worthwhile. So mm-hmm. for each idea that you come up with, you throw it in kind of a queue. Like this is the ideas queue. Like let's default to annual plans on the pricing page. And then to get the idea going, if you want to start testing it, you tag it with like what phase of the funnel it is. You might call that revenue or maybe acquisition or something. Mm-hmm. And then you rate it on three dimensions. So uh, a one to 10 scale and the letters are ICE, ICE. And so the first thing is impact. Like how much of an effect do you think this can have? Mm -hmm. Uh, Confidence. How confident are you that this will work? And then E is ease. So how hard will it be to do this? And when you estimate those things, you can take an average of the three and you now have a number by which you can sort your queue of ideas Ah. that, you know, you can't predict the future, but given your best estimates, here are the ideas that have the right combination of impact, confidence, and ease that you can start from the top and work your way down. And it Mm -hmm. makes sense in a logical way. Mm -hmm. And so someone had mentioned this to me like recently, and I was like, you know, let me try that with the products. I'm just going to like, like, we already had an account with this app. And like, I just went and did a brainstorm on a whiteboard for like every product, just like come up with as many ideas as possible. And I, I worked my way through the funnel, basically. I started like, okay, acquisition, form keep, and like everything I could think of. Acquisition, hound. Acquisition, upcase. And then just worked my way through the funnel for all those and, and had a bunch of ideas up on a, a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And then I did that the ICE ranking for all of them. And the thing that I realized was there are a handful of ideas I had that I had that had pretty high impact and confidence scores and like pretty high ease as well. Ah. And it was like, there are these things that are like the definition of low-hanging fruit. Exactly. I was going to say that. It was like, <laughs> how have we not done this already? Like, this seems yeah. like a great idea and it's going to be so easy. Like, what have I been doing with my life? So it was a really worthwhile exercise and it brought me more clarity, I feel like. I use a to-do system called OmniFocus. And so mm-hmm. I have all these like projects and tasks in there, uh, but they're not ranked. 
and that's like one of the like the philosophies of OmniFocus is just that like you your work is just your work and it's it's sort of a pile and you can mm. flag things just like kind of like a flag feature which is like this is extra important and you can set due dates if things are time sensitive but there's not a sense of like how good is this idea versus that idea and ah. so I found it like myself getting frustrated because it was kind of full of these things where it's like, yeah, that would be a good thing to do on FormKeep. Yeah, that would be a good thing to do on Upcase. And it's like, but now, uh, later, and so this was. I felt so much more clarity after assigning scores to things and yeah. knowing fully well that these scores are imperfect. But it was just that that extra step uh, went a long way for me. I could see that being useful for. I think, in a sense, when we're prioritizing the development queue, we're kind of thinking through similar types of things like when we're we're looking at how much is this going to impact a customer and how easy is it to build how much work is it mm-hmm. weighed against that yeah so i i'm such a proponent of keeping things in prioritized lists as mm-hmm. opposed to to giant buckets because yeah. then every time you go to pull off your next item you're having that cognitive load of trying to figure out what's most important exactly and you're not going to make the best decisions on the fly mm-hmm. i think taking that planning step is really powerful. Totally. Yeah, it's. I, I've actually been getting away from my to-do system recently. I find mm-hmm. that there are times when I feel sort of stuck or not sure what to do. Sometimes it's very useful for me to just ignore all the stuff I've already like put in those buckets and just kind of sit down and, and work from a different direction. And like yeah. sometimes I'll switch like my approach to how I'm managing what I'm going to do with my day. And like using this sort of system was a sort of a similar idea where it's like I, I, I attack a thing from a different direction and it's it's usually pretty useful for me. Right. Is there anything built in that kind of tracks how accurate you're being at hmm. um, those estimates? I don't. Or is it kind of just up to you to yeah, anecdotal? I actually don't know yet. So I've added all my ideas. I prioritized or I rated all of them. Uh, and I moved a few of them into test like I've started doing them. Mm-hmm. And then there is a up next. Or the, so the, the, there's the big idea pile. And then there's the up. This is an up next thing. Then there is a being under test. And then there is a ready for analysis. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if part of I actually haven't moved a thing to analysis yet. Uh, and so I don't know if part of that is like how accurate were your estimates. Got it. But that's also like a, like a nice explicit set of steps. Yeah. That we can see sort of where things are at and know that there is a next step and what the, what it should be. Sure. So I have a few things in flight now that I'm kind of excited about. Awesome. One thing is uh, probably not a shock. I, I hid the lowest form keep plan because uh-huh. I was like, this is incredibly easy and might have a big impact. And I'm actually kind of confident that it probably will. And so, it, I mean, it took me like 20 minutes, basically to get that plan hidden. So was it, it wasn't the default plan before it was just present on the pricing page or was it the default? What do you mean by default? Well, like if someone just were to, I don't know if there's a way to to land directly on a signup page, but I know for us, if someone just goes directly to register, we default to the basic plan. Gotcha. Yeah. So does someone always have to to click a button to choose a plan in order to go to the next? You don't actually. So we do have a plans grid where you can sign up for one of the plans in particular, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we also have like a call to action in the top. That's just like start create reform or something like that. Right. That will default right. you to to the cheapest plan, I believe. Okay. And so that's that's now a different plan. Got it. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was great. I woke up this morning and someone signed up for it last night and <laughs> just I don't know, just at, at basically twice the price. So like the lowest plan yeah. was twenty nine and the next one up was fifty nine and they just signed up at fifty nine dollars a month and I went and checked their account and they had already implemented it. They're like a SaaS company that has a new landing page and they already had I went to their site, they're already wired up. And it's just like that'll probably just be on there for a while nice. at that new price point no concern cool so that feels good i also another like thing that i, I don't know why we hadn't done this already <laughs> given how easy it was was added an automatic annual upgrade offer 
mm-hmm. uh, onto, what was it, FormKeep. I believe we had that on Upcase and uh, just hadn't done it on the other products either. So it was just like, hey, look at this. This will probably generate substantial revenue and will take me half an hour. Yeah. And it did, lo and behold. Yeah, that's cool. We have something set up for Drip where, you know, we kind of are assuming that someone just signing up who's not familiar with the product at all will not necessarily be ready to make the decision about going to annual. Yes. So we have like a, I think it's at 60 days maybe or something. If someone converts to active and then they go this certain amount, then they get an automatic email kind of pitching them on annual. Yes. Uh, That's what I did. I think I said it like 91 days or something. Nice. Yeah. Um, Although I I was realizing, so I'm going to give you some feedback. But the drip email says it's only open for 48 hours. And like, uh, I got an email, it's like, quick, it's closing soon at 5 p.m. And I was like, that's not true, right? Like, you would yeah. let me upgrade to annual at any point of my life, I imagine. Yeah, that, that's a little bit of artificial time sensitivity. It, you know, to be honest, that might be leftover from when we actually did make it time bound at one point. But it, it could be. I mean, like, the email actually says, like, we just enabled annual plans in drip. And uh, you have two yeah. days to do it. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I sort of <laughs> feel like that's not accurate. Fair enough. Yeah, well, we can revisit that copy. Okay. I think. But so I got that email and was like, mm, I like the idea of the time sensitivity, but I want it to be, you know, fully <laughs> accurate, I guess. And so I was right. thinking about sending it out on like day, let's say 87. Mm-hmm. So be like, hey, you've been with FormKey for a while. In that time, you've gotten 1,231 submissions, which I can, I'm populating in that template. Uh, you're going to get billed again in three days. But since it looks like you're having success, maybe you want to switch to an annual plan before then. And that way, there is a time pressure, like a kind of a time pressure where it's like, oh, I can move to annual before the next billing date. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try that out. I think that could be really good. Yeah. I mean, you could also experiment with if you want another time sensitivity part, you could give like a little bit extra discount or something within a short time window. Oh, yeah. You know, we already give, I think it's uh, 12 months for the price of 10. Yep. uh, Which is pretty standard. That's what I'm doing. You'd always throw in an extra month or something like that as another uh, way to, to put a little time pressure on. Yep. So another thing I'm doing is, um, so I, I had this idea, this just um, while brainstorming, which was, are you familiar with Ruby Tapas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So very similar to Upcase in that it's educational content, mostly targeted at Ruby developers, uh, mm-hmm. but mostly, but more typically, up until now, he's been doing shorter screencasts. Mm-hmm. I think they're like seven minutes twice a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Avdi and suggested that we bundle an annual subscription to both Upcase and Ruby Tapas for some amount that's a good discount and sort of cross-market it. Yeah. Because we have various... I imagine we have a lot of audience overlap. Yeah. And people that are interested in Ruby Tapas are probably interested in Upcase and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, And it it sort of pairs nicely. It's like if you want the short, frequent, like, bites, you got Tapas. If you want larger plates, you have Upcase. There you go. And this seemed kind of like a win-win. Yeah. So I got in touch with him and pitched it, and he said yes. So I'm going to be, I'm working on that as well. Nice. Yeah. Joint venture type things have, have always been a powerful channel for us. I mean, cause it's kind of a, it's a win-win for both, you right. know, which is kind of makes it a no brainer. So. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I wrote an email. It was like, Hey, like, I think I have a way that we can both make a bunch of revenue. Uh, here's what it is. <laughs> it's like, that's, yeah. that's an easy email to like say like, yeah, I want to jump on a call and talk about this. Yep. It's a good totally. pitch. Win-win situations uh, are great when you can find them. Yeah. I was actually, by the way, inspired a little bit by, um, lead pages uh, end of year promotion mm-hmm. which was like i think all the products that they own now for a year at some discount i forget what it was but yeah i was like oh yeah that's a good idea i bet that generates piles of revenue because you could it's it's kind of like there's a shareability of that mm-hmm. which is like 
I don't know the, quite the details yet, but it'll be something like we'll open it for a week or mm-hmm. some period of time. And so it's like, if you want to get this discount, which is pretty hefty, you can come now or don't. And then so I think people are willing to share that. Like, okay, this is time sensitive. I'll, I'll, I'll tell people about this. Yeah, totally. Totally. So that's another thing that's in flight. Cool. And I had one more interesting thing that happened just yesterday in the evening. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a little squirrely about who this person is because he seems to like to keep a low profile and I haven't asked if I can like name drop him. Um, yeah. But I had someone introduce me to someone who kind of does what I do, except has done it a lot more and very successfully. And so has like created a lot of, of successful apps or taken over a lot of successful apps and sold them to larger companies and like grown them quite a bit. And I had sort of heard about him for a while. And finally, we ended up on a call. He agreed to sort of just chat for a little bit uh, yesterday. And damn, it was inspiring. It was sort of like, the way he put it was like, yeah, we're just doing the same thing, only I've made tons more mistakes uh, and we're just a little further along in the process. So like, I can just kind of share with like what, what worked for me and what didn't and help save you some agony. Nice. One great thing he pointed out that was is such like a classic blind spot, I feel, for me or maybe developers in general, which is he says, I, for an app, will typically spend as much on sales and marketing as I do on development. Mm-hmm. He's like, I think of development actually as like a guilty pleasure. He's like, when I like spending money on development to me is because he's a, he was like originally a developer as well. So he's like, yeah. to me, that's like eating the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's <laughs> is like when I was like putting, putting developers on projects, like sales is like eating your vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we basically have never invested in sales in a substantial way um, or even close to a substantial way. Uh, and he sort of laid out this sale, this process of how you might bring on salespeople and recommended predictable revenue as a book, which kind of lays out a good sales process. And there were a couple other things that were just like, yes, this is this feels like what it was, which is the voice of someone that has like screwed these things up and then come to like realize what's important and can help me sort of identify these blind spots. Yeah. Uh, so it was such a great, like energizing call. Yeah. Honestly, I felt like this is a, a piece I've been missing in a big way is like a sort of mentorship relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, where someone has someone who knows what's up, someone who's done this, who's better than I am at these things and can tell me where I'm going wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure talking, talking to someone like that generally reminds you that there's no magic here. You know, it's not like that mm-hmm. person was a particular expert in anything that you weren't when they started out, you right. know, and they've just learned along the way, which is what we're all doing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, it's, I feel like I need to be always reminded of the importance of sales and marketing and that whole other side of the business. It's so easy for us as developers to just focus on product. Yep. Which, you know, product is good product is absolutely necessary, but it's only half the equation. So yeah, for sure. So the, the thing that struck me about this person was how incredibly helpful he was, how willing to be helpful he was. Like he jumped on this call and then was like, by the way, like we've talked now. So like, feel free to ping me on Skype, feel free to email me questions like I, I'm, I'm totally happy to be helpful and whenever you need it. And then five or 10 minutes after the call, sends me a follow-up email. It's like, hey, great talking. Please use me as a resource. It was just nice. like this, this like, and it was, it was interesting because in my mind, he's at like this almost intimidating level of success mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, this is, this is a different kind of person that I'm talking to. Like this is a whole, like a whole different ball game. And right. he probably doesn't like, I'm sort of wasting his time in a sense, like, but the impression the fee- the feeling i got from him was like quite the opposite like yeah. uh, even at the beginning of the call i was like hey i really appreciate you taking the time he's like no thank you and i was like what <laughs> like why <laughs> and i started thinking about successful people that i've interacted with in general and i feel like that's actually incredibly common i'm wondering if it's not just like correlation but causation 
Mm-hmm. Like being helpful to others maybe makes you successful, mm-hmm. helps you get successful rather yeah. than, yeah, just having to be correlated. Yeah. Did this person know you before talking to you? Like, did he have some kind of context that made him already yes. more? Okay. Yeah, to okay. some extent. So like maybe if I were like a pure stranger, it wouldn't have been quite such a warm connection. Sure. He knew of me through a sort of mutual friend. Yeah. But it was just such a, I don't know. I was just struck by how much he seemed to care and mm-hmm. willing to be approachable. But I, I had a, a funny experience, which is the same day, yesterday, earlier in the day, I got an email from a stranger who was like, hey, I like your thing on this. And I was impressed by this. And, and I was wondering if we could jump on a call next week. And I was like, yeah, sure. How about one o'clock on Thursday? Yeah. And to this person, he's like just getting into development. So he's just graduating a boot camp. So sure. I imagine to him, to some extent, I'm further along in the professional field that he wants to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was, my reaction was, was like, yeah, of course, sure. I'm, I'm happy to help a, a new person. And so maybe this is just, this is just how it works. Well, it's restoring my faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> good. Nothing else. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So let's all, let's all help people. Let's all pay it forward. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's good talking to you. Good talking to let's, you too, Let's man. never go two weeks again without talking. Okay. Ever, in our Deal. lives. Deal. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, today's show was produced and edited by Tom the Giant Gong Obarski. This is giantrobots.fm slash 224. If you want to access the show notes for this episode, thank you for listening. 